Welcome to the Celebrate Community Church of Yankton podcast. My name is Jeff Todd, and I have the privilege of serving as pastor of this amazing church community here in Yankton, South Dakota. Our episode today is from our series, Unshakable, where we unpack the life of Daniel. Although his world was torn apart, Daniel lived an unshakable life and was a light in darkness. In this eight-week journey together, we will learn how you can live out the same unshakable life. Fear. Fear is holding me back. Fear is holding me still. All I want to do is to sit here comfortably. Why? Because this feels so good. This is all I know. I have built this life, but it's a lie. I don't want this anymore. I want you, Lord. Hiding in the dark or bringing the light. The world is watching. So this, this is our mission field. This is our giant to fight. This is our sword to wield. Look at the clock. It's ticking. Wake up. Because this, (laughs) this is our time. The world may say, your faith is way too big. But I'll never stop saying, it ain't big enough. See, the devil has no power here. We claim the name of Jesus, and in that name of Jesus, we, yes, we have victory. God is able, but are you, are you willing? Are you willing to pray? Are you willing to stand? Are you willing to step up and step out? Are you willing to dream on? We are the church, and now it's time to put in work. We want to see lives change, lives rearrange. It's time to dig deep and do what is right. This is just the beginning. It's time that we claim victory over your life. series we've had those intro videos and I hope they've been just as a blessing as much to you as they've been to me as well and uh, those videos that we've been watching actually have an extra special meaning to me that I'd like to share with you since this is the last week of Unshakable that young man that you saw on stage that you've been hearing um, actually wrote all of those uh, discourses that he shared at the beginning of the series and that young man has a special place in my heart I've actually known him since he was about nine years old and uh, it was pretty cool to watch him grow in his faith. And when I actually came on staff as a children's pastor to Celebrate Church, 
he was actually, I had the privilege of working with that young man and have the privilege of walking with him and, and seeing him grow. And so his name is Bobby, and, and he has a special place in my heart. And so, again, I hope those have been a blessing to you, but I, I can't tell you what it's meant to me to sit out and watch those and, and to watch you guys watch him and see how God can continue to minister. He obviously recorded those probably about two years ago now, but um, it's just been cool. Say again, welcome. Glad you guys are here joining us online. Next week, we're going to be starting our series, Happy Days. Um, I also mentioned before, we're going to do something a little different next week. It's Next week is not going to look like your typical Sunday, and so I hope you can make it. And I haven't been giving you a lot of details about that, and you might say that's you're just trying to trick us into coming, and the answer is yes. That's what I'm trying to do, because um, I want you to be here, because we're going to do some cool things. And, and I really feel like, church, this has been a great series for us. This has been really cool to see how God's been using this series, but I just don't want it to be another series. I don't want us just to, to put it behind us and move on with our lives. I, I really want to be able to dig deep and say, okay, how can we be God's church in this community? And I believe that after now, Elaine and I will be celebrating our fourth year here in Yankton. I believe more than ever, I fully understand what God has called us specifically to do with our church and in our community. And I couldn't be more excited to share that with you. So I hope that you guys can make it next week. And uh, I, I did announce this last week, and I, I'll announce it here during the message so you can hear it. We're going to be having a lunch next week, um, so you guys can come and be here. Um, we're we're going to provide that for you because uh, we just want to bless you with that. But we got some things that we want to share about our church and the way that God is doing and leading us as well. So I hope you can make that. Um, would start off with today, I want to share with you a quote. This is by somebody that I'm sure if I said his name, everyone would know who it is. And probably as I read it, you might actually pick up on whom I'm talking about. But I want to share with you what the man said, and then I want to talk to you about who it was that said it. Here's what he said. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of scriptures or by clear reason, I do not trust in either the Pope nor their counsel alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by scripture, and I have quoted my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, since it's neither safe nor right to go against my conscience. May God help me. Amen. Those words were spoken by a man that, again, if I said his name, you guys probably would know who it was. And it was over 500 years ago where he said that, and he had made a stand. See, he was a pastor. And God had called him into the ministry, and he had given his life to ministry. But what he saw in the church around him didn't quite add up with what he read in God's Word. And he looked at God's Word, and he said, you know what, church? I think we're missing something. I think there's more that we could do. I think there's a place where we could stand and say, listen, I think we've got off track a little bit. And if you know anything about leading astray, when you talk about sheep being led astray, you never do it one big, big moment. Usually it's one blade of grass at a time. You just take a little turn over here, and eventually you start drifting, and eventually you find yourself completely off course. And that's what this man was saying here. I believe that the church is off course. And that man, if you haven't already figured it out, is named Martin Luther, uh, one of the heroes of the faith. And, and, and most of my um, Lutheran brothers and sisters don't like him when I say this, but here's something you need to know about Martin Luther. Martin Luther did not break away from the Catholic Church. That, that's a myth. Martin Luther, on his deathbed, said, I die a Catholic. See, here's what I mean by that. He didn't go out to start a new church. Martin Luther was trying to reform the church that he was a part of. God is not about division. God is never about division. God is only about unity. And unfortunately, at his time, it wasn't really received very well. 
But he still stood on the promise of Scripture. He said, listen, I want to make sure that what we're doing as a church is where we are supposed to be. And church, I can't overstate this enough. I believe with all my heart that in the United States of America right now, our church is off course. And, and if you don't believe that, I can show you the numbers that show where the churches are just declining all over the country because I think we're missing something. And just like Martin Luther said, listen, I think we need to get ourselves back to the Word of God. I think we need to stand firm in that faith. And he had a love and a passion for God's church. Everything he did was to help people get back to what really mattered. What he could stand on the ground. An unbelievable abandonment from the experience from those that used to call him brother and sister in Christ. Yet the only reason a lot of us are sitting here today is because of what Martin Luther did and accomplished by his word. And the other piece of it that I want to mention as, as we go into this, and this will tie into our series here pretty quick, I promise, <laughs> is that one of the things about the Reformation that happened was the invention of the printing press. If you know anything about history, that completely changed the entire world. And if you go back all the way to the beginning of, of uh, the church and Jesus Christ in Acts, every 500 years, God brings along a change in God's church. And it happened, I can go back through history and tell you this, but this happened 500 years ago with the Reformation, and a lot of it was because of the printing press. Martin Luther would be a public dream right now. <laughs> he, he was great at producing literature and getting the word out so he could spread his message. Now, why do I say all that? Because today, church, we have the printing press right here. 500 years later, God has brought us another printing press. And, and the internet is barely over 20 years old. Many of you, myself included, remember the world before the internet, right? And now just think about all the information we have in our pockets. And that's why I think it's so key to us right now. And here's where I'm tying this into our series. Now is the time for us to be God's church. And many of you know I've been so strategic about my relationships here in our community. Catholics, Lutherans, Baptists, Methodists people that are, would consider liberal churches, I've sat down and I've had conversations with them. And, and I'll just say, it's caused some controversy. It's caused some conflict. There are people in this community that'll say, I can't believe that you associate with the Catholic Church. And I'm just like, why? I, I don't understand that. And, and, and why am I saying that? Because I believe this is the time that we need to come back and stand on God's word. And we need to be unshakable. Just like we've been talking about Daniel. We need to get back to what God's word says and be God's people in our community because I believe this is the time for us to do that. And I want to find men and women who are going to come alongside us and say, yes, I want to be part of that too as well. And I want to be unshakable. Just like we've been talking about Daniel. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 6. And we've been in this series called Unshakable where we're looking at the life of this guy named Daniel and walking through. And we've been talking about how he was brought into exile as just a teenage boy. And he was taken away from his home and everything. And if you go all the way back to week one, again, if you haven't watched it, you can go online, go to our website, yankton.church, our YouTube channel, check it out. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. He made a decision before he had to make the decision. He said, no, I'm going to stand firm on God's word. And it benefited him greatly throughout the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar and all the trials that he faced with that and actually led King Nebuchadnezzar to a relationship with God. And then last week we talked about King Nebuchadnezzar's uh, successor, King Belteshar, or as I affectionately refer to him as Tommy Boy, <laughs> where he didn't follow his dad's, he didn't learn from his dad's mistakes. He blew it in a lot of ways. And last week we ended chapter 5 when Darius the Mede of the Medes and Persian Empire came in and one night overtook the entire 
city of Babylon. And that is right where Daniel chapter 6 picks up. Now keep in mind, this is Daniel's third kingdom. His third time he's been conquered in his life. And this Darius the Mede was kind of a different leader. But before this point in human history, when a leader would come in and take over an area, he'd basically kill everybody and just set up his own self as a kingdom. Well, the Medes and the Persians started a little trend that would actually continue until modern days. They did things a little differently. Darius actually set up 120 rulers. If you read in verse 1, it talks about that. Darius set up 120 rulers to rule over the area of the kingdom. You could call these kind of governors if you want to think about it from our American standpoint. Of these 120 rulers, he appointed three of them to oversee the 120. And yes, as you imagine, our boy Daniel was one of those three. And if you look at Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And again, if you're keeping score at home, this is Daniel's third kingdom. This is Daniel's third time he's been conquered. And yes, this is the third time where a leader has raised Daniel up to a position of power and placed him over the entire kingdom. And you might say, how did he do that? How does Daniel, how does this guy, how does this guy get so lucky? How come he was taken away from his home and yet God has just continued to bless his life? Look at his life. Three major kingdoms. He has been the leader of it. How did that happen? And just to go back and remind you, it's because he loved his enemies. He faithfully served in the position where God had put him. He said, I didn't choose to be here, but I'm going to do the best I can with God, what God's made me. And this is the part that we can't ever forget. He was fearless about his God. He stood firm on God's word and the promises that God have him. And church, this is going to come back to what I was talking about before. The reason why the church in the United States of America is struggling right now is because we are known more for what we're against than what we're for. And that is the cause of the problem in the church in the United States today. If you grab any person off the street, grab somebody at work who doesn't go to church, who's not a Christian, and test this tomorrow morning, I challenge you to do that. Say to them, "What? tell me about a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? I guarantee you, you will hear these things. Well, I bet they're, they're against abortion. They're against alcohol, right? We don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do. Anybody ever heard that growing up, right? <laughs> that, that's what we're against. We're against pornography. We're against homosexuality. We're against evolution. We're against fill in the blank. They know so much about what we're against, but church, why don't they know what we're for? Daniel understood that. Daniel understood that it's not about what we're against. It's about what we're for. We are for loving our enemies, praying for those who persecute us, faithfully serving in the position that God has put us in, even if we haven't asked for it, and most importantly, being fearless about our God. We are not going to compromise on our beliefs. And if you go back to week two, again, I encourage you to go back and listen to that message, but it's worth repeating. Daniel didn't look at the culture and say, I'm going to reject it. I'm not going to be part of it. I'm going to separate myself out. I'm going to make a little holy huddle over here of all my believers and all the rest of you can just go to hell. That's what we do in this country right now. And Daniel didn't come to the other side, which I see happen in the God's church. You were saying, oh, it's okay. Everything's great. It's no problem. All that stuff's good. We, we just accept everybody. Just come on in. It's okay. No, there's no standard. Daniel didn't do that either. Daniel didn't reject culture. Daniel didn't rejoice in culture, but Daniel did something that I believe God is calling our church in this country to do today. 
Daniel redeemed the culture. He stood up and he said, no, I, I want to tell you about God. Let, let me tell you about what my God can do. And again, he loved his enemies. He faithfully served where God put him. And he was fearless about his God. And how do we know this? Because we can see how this was responded. Look at verse 4. When this king, this third king in the third kingdom was going to promote Daniel to the highest position in the land, how was this responded by others? At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds to charge against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But don't miss this church. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Can I just put it this way? They were jealous of Daniel. They, they, they saw Daniel and they saw him get promoted. They're like, why, why is he getting promoted? Why are we getting overlooked? Why, are, why is he so special? And so they did what jealousy tends to lead us to do. They tried to tear Daniel down. They tried to find something to, to get against him. And they looked and they looked and they looked and they couldn't find anything. And they didn't see Daniel rejecting. They didn't see Daniel rejoicing. They saw Daniel redeeming. Now, I already warned you that I've been in the book of Philippians, so you're going to get a, a little, little taste of Philippians right here. Philippians 2.15. We're going to read this verse. It's going to be on our screen. Let's go ahead and read this verse out loud together. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. That's what Daniel did. Daniel was a star in the kingdom. But he didn't shine his own light. He shined the light of Christ. And that's what we're called to do as well. And church, you'll hear me say this again. Light shines best in the dark. Daniel lived in a dark time of his life. There was a lot of darkness around him. But the reason why he shined like a star is because he was faithful to what God called him to do. And church, that's what God's calling us to do today. Our world is a pretty dark place. That's why we're doing a series called Happy Days. Not because we want to just be blind to what's going on and the pain in the world. That's not it at all. It's because we want to shine like stars in the heavens. Where people will look at us and they'll say, there's something different about that person. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I want to be around it. That's why when I look at the church failing in America, I go, we're, we're missing something. Because when the church is done right, the church is irresistible. To everyone, it's a star, shine like a star in the sky. Verse 5, I love Daniel 6, verse 5. I love this verse. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis of charge against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the loss of his God. I want you to think about this for a second. They're trying to find a way to trip Daniel up. And they say, I don't get this Daniel guy. Like, we bribe him with money, it does nothing for him. He just completely ignores it. Like, we try the women, we try to trap him with women, and try to get him stuck with women, nothing. We scroll through his Facebook feed and we can't find anything to drag up from his past about it, right? He's not concerned with power, he's not concerned with peer pressure, drugs, approval. The only way we can get this guy is if we can get him to violate this law of his God that he always talks about. And church, I want to say something that might kind of hurt. Is that what people would say about you? Is that what your coworkers would say about you? Is that what your neighbors would say about you? If they were out to get you at some point, and if that hasn't happened, it probably will. If somebody's out to get you, the only thing they can say about you is, man, there's nothing I can get on that guy or that girl except for their God. Man, if they could violate their law, their God, 
That's what it would be. This is what I'm saying now, church. The greatest witness we have is how we live our life. The greatest witness we have is how we shine like stars in the sky for other people to see us. St. Francis of Assisi has a famous quote that you've probably heard before, but it's worth saying again. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. I love that. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. See, Daniel lived a life in such a way that the people looked at him and said, there's something about him. The rulers of three different pagan kingdoms promoted him to the highest position in the land, not because he was a great guy, but because he served a great God. And it's not your light that shines. It's Christ's light that shines. We need to do that. So these leaders had a problem. They wanted to get rid of Daniel. Daniel was in their way. So they went to King Darius, and you can read on that in chapter 6, but just to summarize, basically they walked into Darius and said, Darius, you're so great. You're so mighty. You're so awesome. How many of you know when somebody compliments you like that, probably better prepare for something, right? <laughs> somebody starts buttering you up, you better be holding on to your wallet, somebody told me one time, right? All right, what do you want? You know how great you are. You know, Darius, you know how you could show, how we could show our appreciation for you, Darius? For the next 30 days, let's, why don't you make a law that for the next 30 days, no one can pray to anyone except for the great Darius. And Darius, blinded by his pride or maybe just his own foolishness, thought that was a great idea. And so he signed a law, he made it a law, and he said, anybody who prays to anyone besides me for the next 30 days is going to be thrown into the lion's den. Now, I have to pause right here. Okay? If, I, if I preach this message and I talk about this, I can't go by without talking about Daniel in the lion's den. Okay? Now, as far as the Mount Rushmore of Sunday school stories, this is right up there, right? right? The, the, the fiery furnace of Daniel in the lion's den, David Goliath, this is like on the Mount Rushmore of Sunday school stories. But I want to I clarify something. This is what I used to teach my kids. We hear the words lion's den, okay? What's a den? You don't even think of a cave, whatever it is. It's not a lion's den. It's a hole, okay? I want, it, it's basically a hole, and the Medes and the Persians started this, but it was carried on all the way to Roman times. They would put these lions, literally throw them in a hole, right? And they wouldn't get them out of there. They'd just leave them down there. And every once in a while, they'd throw them food. And, of course, every once in a while, they'd throw them prisoner. <laughs> That's called deterrence, okay? <laughs> like, if you don't do something, we're going to throw you in this pit with the lions, and the lions would devour the person. All right? Welcome to Sunday school. That's, that's, that's a scary story to tell kids, right? But we'd say that. It's not a den. Think of it as a hole where they would throw people, and the lions would attack them. I don't think Peter would have been too fond of the weeds and perkins. What do you think, right? <laughs> now, kind of cruelly to animals as well as people, right? Well, anyway... That's what happened to Daniel in verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, don't miss that church, three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Just as he had been done before. Church, we are called to make a stand for God. And when we're called to make a stand for God, some things are going to happen when we do that. And so if you want to go ahead and take out your note sheet, again, this is blank on the back. There's a reason for that. We want you to write these things down. I'm going to give you a few things that are going to happen when you make a stand for God, just like Daniel did. Daniel made a stand for God when he said, you know what, Darius, I'm going to continue to do what I've always done. And these guys that are trying to trick you have got me because they know I'm not going to violate the law of my God. So here's the first thing that will happen when you stand for God. It's going to build your faith. When you make a stand for God, it is going to build your faith. 
And I love that verse where, where Daniel said he had done it just as he had always done before. Church faith is like a muscle. You guys know how you build your muscles, right? You just got to exercise them. You just got to do it. Now, if I walked in the gym right now and I tried to bench press 400 pounds, what would happen? All right? I'd probably be a pancake. It'd probably flatten me dead, right? Okay? It's the same thing with our faith. Sometimes we just need to work our faith like a muscle. We just need to get up and we just need to exercise it over and over and over again. The more you work your faith, the stronger it gets. And just bring it back to Daniel for a second. Daniel had had multiple opportunities to exercise his faith. The Bible said he did it every day for three times a day. For years he had done this. And we know from earlier passages, Daniel had gone through a test of the food. He had the test of the dream for Nebuchadnezzar, the fiery furnace. So many other times, Daniel had an opportunity to exercise his faith and to build it. And here's what I want you to understand, church. Every choice you make is a step closer to God or a step further away. And every time we choose to exercise that faith, no matter how little, no matter how small you think it is, you will grow more like Christ and build your faith. And the number one way I think you can do that is through prayer. Just as Daniel did every day, three times a day, he prayed to exercise his faith. I made this statement in the previous uh, message in this series about prayer and pride. We were talking about pride in Nebuchadnezzar. And I said there is a direct relationship between the amount of pride in your life and the amount of prayer in your life. The more you pray, the less pride you're going to have. You know why? Because you say to God, thy will be done, not my will be done. And Daniel exercised that muscle every day, three times a day. I'm going to build my faith. I'm going to build my faith. That's why he didn't even hesitate. I don't even think Daniel batted an eye when they said, okay, this is what's going to happen. I think he walked right up there and just kept doing it. That's what the scripture tells me. Why? Because when you make a stand for God, it will build your faith. Here's the second thing that will do. And this, I think, is just as important. When you make a stand for God, it will be a testimony to others. It will be a testimony to others. Don't miss this. Negative and positive. It will be a testimony to others, both negative and positive. In the same way where these guys knew exactly what they were doing, they were trying to get Daniel in a negative way, that's exactly what happened. And, and I, I don't like to, to say this, church, but I want to be honest, and I want love you as your pastor if I didn't say this. If you take a stand for Jesus, if you stand up and you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to do what's right, you will face persecution. It will happen. And it will happen both positive and negative. So going back to Daniel 6, these men went back to Darius, right? They got Daniel right where they want him. And they go to King Darius. And again, just to summarize, they say to Darius, Darius, didn't you issue a decree? Wasn't there something that you made? Something about praying for the next 30 days? I don't remember. See, this is the art of manipulation. People that are very manipulative are very good at this. They'll talk you into something and then blame you and then make it think it's your idea, right? Darius, isn't this you? What, didn't you make this law? Wasn't this you? Even though they were the ones that led him that way. And he said, you know, didn't you make this decree that only for the next 30 days we could only pray to you? Look at verse 13. Then they said to the king, Daniel. One of those exiles from Judah pays no attention to you, your majesty, or the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. See, Darius, we got Daniel, that guy that you think is so awesome and so great. You make a law, he just completely ignores you. But I don't want you to miss one of the phrases that's in there, so important. Daniel 
who is one of those exiles. Now, I just want to pause here for a second and kind of unpack that statement for you. Daniel at this point, remember I said when Daniel came into exile, he was probably 14, 15 years old. He was a teenager. We know that. Okay, we've gone through the whole reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Belteshar, and now we're on Darius the Mede. Some scholars range Daniel's age at this point between 60, 70, and some have put it as high as 80 years old. Basically what I'm telling you is Daniel has been in exile for over 50 years. Why do I say that? What did they call Daniel? One of those exiles. Church, that was 50 years ago. You think Daniel has overcome the fact that he's in exile? You think the fact that he's been promoted to the highest position in the land two other times already probably shows that he's over that? Why do I say that? Because when people want to tear you down, they'll always bring up the past. They will always bring up your past. Oh, really? So you go to church now, huh? Aren't you the guy that was down at the bar? Like, where, didn't we used to go out and get drunk all the time? Aren't you the girl that slept with everybody in town? Isn't that who you are now? Now you're a Christian? Now you go to church? See, when people want to tear you down, they're always going to bring up your past. But here's what you need to know, and here's what Daniel knew. God's got your future. The reason why people want to keep you in your past is because they don't understand that God has your future. And these people, the reason why they're calling Daniel one of those exiles is they don't understand who Daniel's God is. Verse 14. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. This was not the response they were hoping to get. When the king heard that Daniel continued to pray, he was in great distress. And he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Think of the power of this verse. Why would this pagan ruler stress over a rule that he had made that now is going to affect Daniel and his friend Daniel? Because Daniel's life had an impact on Darius. Daniel's life was a testimony. And just as I said, when you make a stand for God, it's going to impact others, negative and positive. All these people that were trying to get to Daniel, it impacted them in a negative way. But for Darius, it really impacted him in a positive way. But Darius, unfortunately, was bound by what he had done. And he couldn't find any way out of it. So verse 16 says this. So the king gave an order. And they brought Daniel. And they threw him into the lion's den. Or I'll say pit, right? Whole. The king said to Daniel, check this out. May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. I love that verse, church, and that brings me to the third one. When you make a stand for God, it will give an opportunity for miracles. Think about the words that Darius said. Listen, I know I made this mistake. I know I put you in this position, Daniel. I know I fell for a trick. I'm going to throw you in this pit because I have to. But may the God whom you serve continually rescue you. Church, I love that verse. That's my God that can do that. And God can do miracles. See, I've heard it said about supernatural. We talk about the word supernatural. And this is what I've heard before. We do the natural, and God provides the super. <laughs> and that's all through scripture. Think about it. Go all the way back to Abraham. Abraham was 100 years old. God said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And he's like, I don't have a kid right now. My wife is nine years old. But I'm going to go by faith. And then get God blessed him with Isaac. And then God said to Abraham, I want you to go and I want you to sacrifice his son. And Abraham, by faith, went to the mountain and said, okay, God, I'm going to lay down my son's life. And God saved him from that and provided a miracle for him. Think about Moses. He went to the Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. And he said, for 400 years, my people have been in slavery. Let my people go. And through a miracle, God provided and led the people out of bondage and out of slavery. 
They got to the shore of the Red Sea, and Pharaoh was chasing them. There was no way out, and God provided a way for them to go through the Red Sea. Joshua and Jericho marched around the city with horns and toppled the walls, came tumbling down. Gideon, who started with 10,000, and God whittled them down to 300. He gave them a lantern and a horn, and they wiped out the entire Midian army. David and Goliath, on and on and on, and all the way to Jesus at the cross. Why do I tell you all that, church? Because do you still believe in miracles? Do you understand the fact that that's the same God that's in heaven right now? I don't think we understand that, church. I don't think we get the fact that God wants to have a miracle. And God will put us, taking a stand for God will put us in an opportunity to show miracles in our life. Where the world can look at it and go, there's no way that could happen other than God. See, we in our culture, we've reduced miracles to some kind of minor things. Like, like oh, I found a parking spot at, at Christmas Eve. Oh, it's a miracle, right? Uh, like, we think about that. Uh, one of the miracles that I was thinking about when we were using that word miracle is the miracle on ice. I don't know if you remember this or not. The 1980 U.S. hockey team in and, and, and the Olympics in Lake Placid, New York. And at the time, the Soviet Union, they were the greatest hockey power in the world. And the Soviet Union was, they were like professional team, basically. And these college kids from the United States of America came and battled the Soviets and beat them and won the gold medal, right? And they call it what? The miracle on ice. Al Michaels, as the clock was running down, says, do you believe in miracles? And then it happened, right? Is that what we produce miracles to? Do you remember the stories that I just said about what my God can do? How do we see miracles? See, my God can do anything. And, and I'm just going to make it personal for a second. Many of you know this. You've heard me say this before. Elaine and I, this next month, we're going to be celebrating our 20th year of marriage. That's a miracle. Yeah, amen. You can clap for that. That's okay. But, but it's not a miracle because she stayed with me the whole time. Many of you might think that's the miracle, okay? That's not actually the miracle. The miracle is our marriage was done. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not making a point. Our marriage was completely over. We were done. We had the funeral. It was done. It was over. And you know what my God did? He restored it. He resurrected it from the grave. And I'm more in love with that woman than I've ever been in my entire life. And God has called us to this community to serve together. Church, do you still believe in miracles? I don't know what you're facing in your life. When I look around in our community, I see a lot of hurt. I see a lot of pain. But you know what? My God's bigger than all of that. I think it's time that we take a stand for God and we believe that God can do the miraculous. I believe that God can change the hearts and minds of this community in a way that's never happened before. And that'll last for generations. But we have to provide that opportunity. And in Daniel chapter 6, verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. I love that verse, right? It's done. It's over. From a human standpoint, you're dead. It's completely dead. It's over. Daniel, your fate has been sealed. It's going to die in this little pit with the lions. We're going to put a stone over it. We're going to seal it. It's done. It's over. But then something really happened. Really interesting happened. Verse 18. The king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. He could not sleep. Now, I want to ask you a question. What do you think bothered the king? Why do you think the king couldn't sleep that night? 
And I would contend it's not the guilt that he felt about throwing his friend to the den of lions. I don't think that the king was wondering, feeling bad about what he did and how he got manipulated. I don't think that's why the king couldn't sleep that night. I think there was a reason why the king couldn't sleep that night. And I think he reveals it in verse 19. Play with me here. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the entrance of the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Now, I want you to pause for a second and think of how ridiculous this is. I've been to a lot of funerals. Okay? I have. I've actually performed several funerals. I've been there. I've been at the gravesite. We prayed and we walked away. You know what I've never done? I've never gone back to the grave the next day and said, hey, are you awake yet? Do you see how ridiculous that would be? This is exactly what this king is doing right now. He put Daniel in this pit with his lions. He sealed it with his stone, sealed it with his rings. He's dead. He's buried. His life is over. He went back to his palace and he couldn't sleep. Do you know why? Because he knew that Daniel's God. And he said, you know what, that Daniel's God, he's done some pretty crazy things in his life. And I just wonder if maybe, because why would the king go back the next day, go to Daniel's grave and say, hey, are you in there? Did God save you? Do you know why the king couldn't sleep? Because he knew what his God could do. And that's exactly what would happen. And I'm going to give you four before I go on. Standing with God, standing for God will be rewarded and will be remembered. It doesn't, matter. it doesn't mean your life won't be easy or it won't be hard, but God will be faithful. And church, it probably wasn't the greatest feeling for Daniel to get thrown in the line then. And I have to be careful before I go on to say this because I want to help you understand something. My God can do the miracle. My God can save your marriage. My God can save you from addiction. My God can save you from cancer. He can do all that stuff. I believe that, but sometimes he doesn't. And I don't, want, I don't want to give you some delusion that somehow you just pray this magic prayer and just rub this little genie lamp and your life automatically gets better. Sometimes it doesn't happen that way. But I guarantee you, every time you make a stand for God, it will be rewarded and it will be remembered. Verse 21, Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angels and shut the mouths of the lion. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. And if you know the rest of the story, Darius, of course, lifted Daniel out of that pit. And the question of Daniel's integrity had been answered for King Darius. And Darius put Daniel in that position. And those guys who were the little manipulators, they found the same fate that Daniel did, only the outcome was a little different, wasn't it? <laughs> Lions were more than happy to tear them apart. And like I said, God pulled the miraculous thing. And when you take a stand for God, like I said, those things will happen. And God can do miracles. But God will always make you, it will be rewarded and it will be remembered. And I'll just go back to say this. If Daniel would have got torn apart by those lines, guess what would have happened? He'd still be rewarded and remembered, wouldn't he? Because my God, I wouldn't have forgotten him. See, here's the thing that I want you to understand. Is, as we're, as we're kind of landing this series, I, I want to I make something very clear. And if you haven't got anything from today or from this series, I really want you to get this point. We're at Daniel chapter 6. I said we're going to talk about the life of Daniel. If you know the book of Daniel, there's actually 12 chapters. We did 8 weeks for 6 chapters. And we're going to cover 6 chapters in about 10 minutes. Now, you guys hope you packed the lunch, right? <laughs> now, here's what I mean by that. When we talk about Daniel's life, we really are defining 6 events. One Chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. 
We quantify those as the life of Daniel. And we've been through what they are. But really, if you, if you want to boil it down, really, um, the writing on the wall wasn't really him. He was just there as a side character, right? Chapter 3 we talked about. He's not even mentioned, even though he, we know he wrote it. Chapter 4 was Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel was kind of a side character on that. So if you really want to strip it down, you really have three major events in Daniel's life that were like, that's Daniel. That's how we know Daniel from these three major things. Now, here's where I'm going with this. Daniel was in captivity 70 years and maybe longer than that. Do the math. 70 years, three events. Do you think there might be some things that are missing from that? I think there might be some things that are left out. And here's what I mean. I used to think, you know, maybe you think this too. When I get to heaven, I'd like to go and meet with Daniel. I'd like to say, Daniel, what were you thinking about when King Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm going to kill all the wise men? Daniel, what, what would it feel like to get thrown in the lion's den? I used to think that way. And, and you know what? As I was going through this series, you know what I think God revealed to me? If I would have that conversation with Daniel, if Daniel were standing here today, you know what I think Daniel would have said? What were you thinking in those moments, Daniel? I think he would have said, you know what? I think it was just another Tuesday. Nebuchadnezzar wants to kill everybody again. Okay, well, what are we going to do? Well, let's just pray like we always do, right? Think about this. 70 years. 70 years. And, and here's why I say that. We get so focused on the results. Our focus is on the We like those three events, right? We like Daniel. Oh, Daniel, we love that you were chosen to serve for three kings. God, Daniel, we love that you were chosen above all the wise men. Daniel, we love that you were saved from the lion's den. See, we love the results. But don't miss this, church, and you want to write this down. We love the results. God loves the process. We focus on the results. God focuses on the process. We know three things about Daniel's life, but day after 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 day for 70 years, Daniel got down on his knees and prayed to his God three times a day. Daniel opened up his word every day. Daniel loved his enemies even in the face of death and persecution. Daniel loved him, even when he knew they were out to try to get him. Daniel made it. See, if we're being honest in this room, we really want to be successful. We want our church, and we want our community to thrive. But if we're being honest, we are more focused on the results than the process. We are so much more. We would love to have this room filled. The church, I'm going to say this again, and because God keeps telling me this, this room is going to be full. There's going to come a season where this room won't hold us anymore. We'll have to go to two services. We'll have two services. But at that point, this room ain't going to hold us anymore. And, and, and you might look back and you might go, oh, wow, that's, that's the outcome. I don't give a rip about the outcome anymore. You know what I care about? I care about the process. You know what God's done in my heart over this last year? God has done in my heart to say, Jeff, listen, you need to care more about the process than the outcome. Day after day after day after day after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after conversation after conversation after conversation. Live your life unshakable. If you want to be have the great outcomes in life, you know what you need to do tomorrow morning? As soon as you get up, you need to open your Bible. You need to spend five minutes in God's Word. And you need to get down on your knees and spend two minutes in prayer. And do that every day for the rest of your life. And then I can just retire as pastor. If we all did that, I can just go home, right? I'm just saying, like, we, we want the outcomes. We want to see God. I want to see my marriage change. God, I want to see my life. God, I want... God cares more about the process than the outcomes. 
And, and when I tell you, when you trust God with the process, church, the outcomes will come. They absolutely will come. And, and this is why I tell you this, because Daniel chapter 7 through 12, I would encourage you not to read them. You're like, what? You just No, I'm just telling you, don't read them. Because here's what happened. Daniel chapter 7 to chapter 12, God revealed to Daniel what the end times were going to look like. Dan God predicted through Daniel the next 500 years of human history and including the end of the world. If you don't know that, that's what that's in there. It's very deep into the pool kind of stuff. I don't even feel confident to preach it to you, to be honest with you. But why am I saying that? Why would God do that to Daniel? Because Daniel wasn't focused on the outcome. He was focused on what? The process. Daniel didn't get lost in that, but Daniel predicted that. In fact, and this is worth noting, it's so accurate for the next 500 years of human history that most modern historians look at the story of Daniel and say, oh, well, that happened afterwards. They must have wrote that later because it's so accurate. It's not. Daniel predicted it. And the reason why that is is because there's some pieces of it that talk about a kingdom yet to come, and a kingdom yet to come, guess who that was? <laughs> Jesus. And Jesus is going to come back. See, people want to understand the book of Revelation. You don't understand Daniel 7 through 12. You shouldn't even look at Revelation because all of that was in there. Now, why am I telling you all that? Because look at what Daniel 12, 13. This is how the book of Daniel ends. So we can put a bow on it and put a pin in it. Verse 13 of chapter 12. As for you, Daniel, go your way to the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise and receive your allotted inheritance. And that's the end of the book of Daniel. Daniel was an old man at this point. He had been given this great vision of the next 500 years of human history as far as the end of the world, pointing to Jesus. And that was his epilogue. All right, you're going to die. And I think Daniel was okay with that. You know why? Because he didn't care about the what? Outcome. He cared about the process. And here we are, thousands of years later, standing here talking about Daniel and his life. And I would be remiss if I said, if we're going to focus on just those three events and miss the process, this whole series was a waste of time. Day after day after day after day after day after day after day. Be faithful to what God's called you to do. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And be obedient to what God tells you to do. And just, just to kind of, this is going to feel like a left turn, but I promise it's not. We do something every year that honors Daniel's memory, and you probably don't even know it. Every year, we celebrate Christmas. Now, you might be thinking, Pastor, it's Memorial Day. Why are you talking about Christmas? Because I love Christmas. I love it. I can't wait for Christmas this year. I can't wait for Christmas every year. I love Christmas. But where am I going with this? Every year at Christmas, did you know that Daniel's part of the Christmas narrative? Did you know that? Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. And it'll be up here on the screens. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, if that's always kind of bothered you, like why are these pagan astrologers coming all the way and asking about Jesus being born? Guess where they came from? The where? The east. Guess what's east of Jerusalem? Modern-day Iraq, which at that time was what? Babylon. See, what most scholars and historians agree is these were people that were the 18th, do the number on that, the 18th generation from Daniel. Daniel's legacy lasted so long that there's a group of astrologers who say, because remember what I said, the prophecies of Daniel point to who? Jesus. 
And they said, there is a king that's going to be born someday, and it's going to be in Jerusalem, and we're going to watch, and we're going to see it. And they understood the stars and the signs, and they recognized when Jesus came, they came to find him. And a group of pagan astrologers come and join our Christmas narrative, and every year we celebrate that. Why? Because there was a guy named Daniel who was unshakable who stood up in the darkest time of his nation's history and said, you know what? I'm going to faithfully serve God. I'm going to resolve not to defile myself. I'm going to, I'm going to love my enemies. I'm going to pray for those who persecute me. I'm going to be faithful where God's called me, but I'm going to be unapologetically obedient to what my God says. And 18 generations later, it happened. And not to mention the exile that was restored back to the nation. So church, we're going to do something that I'm really excited about. We're going to take communion together. As, as, we, as we close out this series, and I just want to go over a couple housekeeping things before we get into this. The first one is that if you're a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, our table is open to you to participate in communion. And what we're going to do is, is in a minute, I'm going to invite you to come up here. Um, we have the wafer and we have the juice. It's like a little kit now, right? So thank you, COVID. We're all in. <laughs> so I'm going to invite you to come up. I'm going to invite you to take one of these. Take it back to your chair. Don't take it yet. You want to probably go ahead and pull this little lid, wrapper off here, get the wafer out, wafer out, and then pull up the drink. We'll eat it together. But before you do that, I just want to go through this with you. And here's why I'm saying this is because if you're a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, you're more than welcome to come up to this table. It's open to you. If you're not, there's no shame in sitting there. There's no shame in coming up and passing on this because this is how we remember together as a community the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, again, the table is open for you to come. If you're not comfortable, you can just stay put. And nobody's going to judge you. So let's go ahead. We're going to play some music. And while we're doing that, I'm going to invite you to come and take this and go back to your chairs. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you live in the Yankton area, we'd love for you to join us Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 310 Walnut Street. Or you can join us live online from our website, yankton.church, or our YouTube channel, Celebrate Yankton. If you'd like to grow more in your faith, check out one of our life groups that meet throughout the week. For a list of days and times, please visit our website, yankton.church. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and share with others.